Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you that these online resources are never meant to be a substitute for God's good plan for you to be present, connected, and serving in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you live in the West Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we encourage you to come check out one of our Sunday services. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's word, we pray that His Spirit would use this sermon powerfully in your life. And as you turn there, uh, I just have a question for you, or a couple questions as we get into this psalm. Uh, why is it uh, that you obey and seek to know and, 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 and understand who the Lord is? Why would you want to get to know Him personally? Why would you want to do what God says and live in obedience to him? Is it because you think you're going to be rewarded good things, material things from, from, from God? But is, is, is that true, though? Should our obedience be contingent on the material things that God can give us in this life? Or do you obey and seek to know who God is because you're afraid of, of conflict and you fear God's judgment. That, that obedience is kind of like your get-out-of-jail-free card to ensure that you aren't on bad terms with God. Should we see God as some overbearing, what goes around, comes around kind of deity, punishing you for every wrong action that you do? I don't think so. Uh, on, up on the screen is, is the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and I think that they get it right when they say in their first question and answer that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I think our psalmist here also helps us understand uh, this in this section of this psalm. In verse 20 and 24, I'm going to read those two verses for you. He says, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. And then in verse 24, he says, your testimonies are my delights. They are my counselors. You see, there is an evident strong desire, a, a, a pleasure, if you may, in obeying and knowing God. That, that there's a greater reason why you and I should want to glorify and obey and seek to know and understand God personally. And that leads us to our big idea. And the main thing that I want you to understand uh, uh, this, this morning, which is up on the screen for you, that we can know and apply it to our lives. That joy is the reward of our grace-given obedience and pursuit of God, that joy is the reward of our grace-given obedience and pursuits of God. What is joy? Joy can be understood, and this is what I share with my youth all the time, as the satisfaction that comes from truth or, or, or what is true or right, 
that at any time or season in our lives, what is true or right satisfies you and me. An example is like, you know, I, I think I didn't, like, I, I think I didn't deliver the sermon well. I didn't do a good job. Well, the truth is that the word of God was preached, that, that, that God does the rest. His word does not return to him void. Just trust him. That, that brings joy. It brings peace. It brings a satisfaction. This relationship didn't work out. You know, I now feel unloved and unwanted. Well, the truth is that the Lord loved you enough to die for you and will never leave you or forsake you. Trust him. You can have joy, peace, and satisfaction in that. Uh, I just lost my job. I, I, feel, I feel inadequate. But the truth is that God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, and, and, and he promises to provide for every single need of ours according to the riches that are in Christ Jesus. We can have joy and peace in that. Joy recognizes your circumstance, but it gives a better perspective, assurance, and, and hope to us. Our psalmist in Psalm 119 understands this, and he wants more. He wants, he wants God and the bliss that comes from knowing and living as we should, despite the fact that our world is broken and that sometimes life is extremely hard and difficult for us, that knowing and obeying God through his word can remain our delight. There are two major prayers that we can also pray for ourselves in this section of this psalm that will help us uh, know and obey God and experience the joy that he has for you and me. So I'm going to pray over us, and then we're going to get into our first points of this morning. And so, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, that you speak uh, to everything uh, uh, that pertains to life and godliness. And here you are, Lord, uh, helping us understand uh, uh, the joy of what it is to, to live in obedience and to seek you. And so I pray that you may uh, give me strength, boldness, wisdom, clarity to communicate your word so that it, it brings about your desired effect, that people may know you, that people may come to know you and grow in their love and knowledge of you as well. So I pray this all in your name. Amen. All right, so uh, uh, this, this passage is kind of answering for us, uh, what can we ask God in order to have joy? And the first thing is that we, we request for more grace and opportunities to obey and know God. We request for more grace and opportunities to obey and know God. You can look with me in verse 17 of Psalm 119. The psalmist says, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. We'll park there for, for, for a moment. The, the, the psalmist, he gives us some insight as to why he wants to obey and know God. Uh, that's because he understands that, that he and us are actually servants to God. Like, it is good that we understand that, you know, through the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, that we are co-heirs with Christ, that we are children of God, that we are his saints and his people. But we should never let these identities make light of our servanthood to God. 
Just how the Apostle Paul even introduces himself, goes out of his way to make sure to, in his letters to let his, the people of God know that he is a servant, that he is called, and yet joyfully a servant or bond servant by choice. Uh, this verse reminds us about the character of God as well as the character you and I need to assume and never forget. Better than working for a you know, good company or employer, God's commands for his servants are for our best interests as well as the community at large as well. It's why it makes sense for us to, 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 to ask for more opportunities to do them. But again, in verse 17, he says, deal bountifully with your servants that I may live and keep your word. You see, God's servants actually have such a good relationship with their master to the point where we can expect and in a sense even demand and request for grace. Grace is just uh, things that we do not deserve from God. We can ask for what we do not deserve. To give bountifully means to give generously on the basis of blessing, to receive gifts and favors. A master doesn't owe anything to their servants, doesn't owe them any favors or blessing, but here the psalmist, and us too, can, can, can always ask God to deal with us in this way. He's asking for favor for life in order to obey. And notice that the grace is given preemptively to the work. It's not a reward for his work. God gives to us so that we can then succeed. When you, you know, blow out the candles on your birthday, uh, share your New Year's resolutions or your, your goals, you write down your dreams in your journal or, or log, are you asking for favor for more life for your own desires or for God? We should be praying, actually, for more opportunities to do again what God has called us to do. It's a prayer like this that trusts God as rich and gracious to give his servants whatever they need in order to live doing what he wants them to do. And that will result in satisfying joy because something good and right has taken place. But there isn't just a joy that comes from obeying God. There's actually a joy in knowing God as well personally and intimately. Uh, Christians have a good relationship with their master and not just know what God wants, but we also get insight as to why God wants it and why he expects what he expects from us. In verse 18 uh, to 19, let's read. The psalmist says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. We see here his second request, second and third request, that his eyes be open and that God not hide his commandments from, from him. Up on the screen for you is two movies that I've uh, uh, watched that, uh, in all honesty, I enjoy them, but I'm not like a diehard fan as some uh, people in my circle are. And I'm told time and time again, the reason being and why I'm not allowed to critique these movies as, as I'm told to is that I haven't read all the books. 
that there's like so much history and, and context. There's character development, uh, director's cut scenes, uh, it, it, instead of the versions that I've seen, like these radio uh, uh, versions of, of, of these movies. And I'm told that if I simply were to immerse myself in that content, I would better appreciate the story, better enjoy uh, the series, and can properly critique the work. You see, the more that we know about someone, the more it enables us to love them. And on the flip side, the more we want to know about someone reveals how much we actually love them. Uh, the, the psalmist is teaching us that God has layers uh, and, and is better understood and appreciated holistically, that there is a never-ending wonder, adventure, depth, when we ask God to let us see past uh, the letters on the page to the person who actually wrote these laws, God's word, and to see his intentions. I used to believe that the Bible was boring or that some things weren't needed in Scripture or, or, or redundant, like Leviticus or Numbers, until I sought to understand why and not just uh, the wants. You see, this psalm, uh, Psalm 119, is a perfect example of that. Up on the screen for you is a little um, uh, graphic of, of what the psalm kind of is. So uh, there's a pastor named uh, uh, Douglas uh, Van Dorn of Re Reformed Baptist Church in northern Colorado. And so what he has done to this psalm is, is, is made uh, a translation of it that tries to communicate what the Hebrew author, what the psalmist is trying to communicate in this psalm. You see, there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And this psalm, all of Psalm 19, is, is an acrostic poem that each uh, verse starts off with, with the same letter. And, and we are in the, uh, uh, the section of Gamel, and that's what we will see as the letter um, um, C here. And so what this pastor does, it's hard, it's hard to see that, that correlation from Hebrew to English. And so he has words that start with C to help us understand uh, uh, how, how poetic that this psalmist is to reveal how deep God really is. We may think redundant, but the psalmist thinks that this is merely scratching the surface to sing of someone who is inexhaustible to show his devotion and love through such creativity, to use his language and its brevity to communicate God and his word. Each section in, in Psalm 119 has eight verses, each uh, representing the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You see, reading, meditating, and immersing ourselves in the word and law of God is a means to an end of knowing God and how perfect of a creator he is to, to think and give us everything regarding to the purpose of life and how we are to then live in it. He loves us by providing his word, and we love him by knowing and obeying his word. It's one thing to know what authority wants for us or forbids for us, but it's another thing to know why and learn of their love and wisdom and good intentions that they have for you. 
the word is a means to an end for us to actually love God. To study and learn of God through his word is what we call theology. And a theologian is just someone who seeks to study and know God. And, you know, truth be told, we are all theologians. And one theologian, uh, his name is St. Augustine of, of Hippo, he says this up on the screen for you. He says, all of theology is appointed for this purpose, that we enjoy God. Our pursuit in knowing God is the proof or the test that we love him. So you don't want to let, you know, jerks discourage you. And don't let laziness excuse you. It is for your joy and benefit to know and obey God's word through his word and enjoy God. But that's not going to be easy for you and I. Look with me in verses 19 and 20 again. He says, I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. David is saying that we are strangers on this earth, that those who make, their, make it their aim to glorify and joyfully obey the Lord are the minority. God doesn't hide his will from us. It's right in, in front of you. It's on your laps. It's, it, it just takes work. And our, and our world is complex, and it's not our home as, as well. There's an art to being a disciple, a servant of, of Jesus, someone who follows and obeys Jesus in every step of their lives, just someone who is seeking and basically like swimming in God's word to figure out their next step of obedience in whatever era or season their life, they find themselves are in life. It should look like being consumed, being hard-pressed, crushed, fully occupied, with seeking for the next step of obedience in our lives. Uh, the psalmist is teaching us uh, the more we study God's word, the more access we have to the more specific and nuanced decisions we need to make in life. It's how the psalmist and the Christian should feel about God and his word, regardless of the, of the season that he or she is in. This is what God wants to see. But you can ask yourself, is this you? Can you right now agree and put yourself in the shoes with the psalmist in verse 20? What is on your mind, uh, uh, that, that what is on your mind most of the time or all the time is trying to figure out your next step of obedience out of a love and devotion for God? So yeah, if, if we don't have a heart, uh, uh, that, that's, that, that desires to figure out at all times our next step of obedience or, or getting to know the Lord, do we no longer see joy as a reward for our obedience? And if it isn't, uh, and, if, and if it isn't, it means that we've actually lost sight on our identity as servants. So the question is, how do we then fix that? And so to illustrate for you, I got, a, I got a slide for you. So I got two groups of employees up on the screen for you. On the left is Chick-fil-A employees. On the right, we got Popeye's employees. Hope you guys know these guys and have been to both of these establishments. 
So in my personal opinion, I do think Popeye's uh, makes the better chicken sandwich. Just, just hear me out. Hear me out for, for a second. So Chick-fil-A is blessed. It's nice. Like, it's, it's clean. Like, I call it clean chicken. Like, it's smooth. Like, no issues whatsoever. But Popeye's, you know, it's that, like, that soul food taste. Like, mama made it, that greasy. It makes you feel bad afterwards, but it's like this beautiful mess that you can enjoy. But uh, where, where was I? Anyways, uh, <laughs> what I'm trying to get at, besides the food, you can't debate on the, 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 the level of service or quality that these two guys do. Have you ever been to Popeye's in the States? So I don't know what their problem is. I don't know like, if they're hiring these people straight from the bin or, or juvie or their wages are insufficient. Well, I guess that's everyone um, nowadays. Uh, last time I was in Popeye's in the States, uh, I was in a drive-thru with one of my, my friends and in trying to put my order, the cashier was getting so frustrated and, and angry with me for, 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 for ordering, like rolling her eyes at, at me, asking me if I'm finished, is that, is, is, is that it? And then they got mad at me for asking for more sauce. And it wasn't even me who wanted the sauce. It was the guy beside me who wanted the sauce, but I was a driver. So her frustration was getting mad at me. And then even in getting my order wrong, she had to let me know that she had to call the manager. She was upset and called the manager. And the manager shows up. He's upset as to why I kind of messed up my order. And I'm just there with my friend thinking, like, I dare not say this out, out loud, but I was thinking, like, well, I'm paying you. Like, I'm paying you for this service. Why are you upset that I'm trying to make sure that my order is done well. Why are you so mad? But in researching, what happens to some of these customers online, I was, that's the grace of God that all I got was rolling of the eyes and being upset with, with me. If you're going to do that research, kids, make sure you got adult uh, supervision with you. But some bad things happen to customers who purchase and make mistakes at Popeye's and order their their food. But at the end of the day, I'm willing to take that risk because I love Popeye's chicken sandwich. But at Chick-fil-A, what do they say whenever you ask for something? They say, my pleasure. They look content. They look unified. They look happy, joyful to serve you. You see, they see themselves uh, and, and, and understand their position at all times to even, as, a, as a preemptive way to prepare themselves to serve and a response to, to, to even uh, 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 obey and serve the most ridiculous requests. You see, who we think we are not just affects what we do, but it also affects how we do it. They, they, they never forget their identity, ensuring that they say, my pleasure, and that enables them to do their duty with joy. Our role as servants should be 24-7. And, 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 and it is what, and, 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 and through that, that's how we give God glory as well. We'll be doing this now on earth, 24-7 as servants, but in Revelation 22-3, we're going to be doing this in glory as well. We'll be serving the Lord in glory for Ever. These verses here in Psalm 119 should counsel us and for some of us even elevate us and, 
comfort and encourage us as to how we should feel towards God and his word, his laws, his rules, his statutes, so that we can then experience joy. Again, joy is the reward of our grace-given obedience and pursuits of God. You want to assume your identity and request for the ability uh, and opportunities to do your God-given duty. We need to do this daily, hourly, or even by the minute. Our obedience and pursuit of God will then result in joy. So what can we ask God in order to have joy? The first is that we request for more grace and opportunities to obey and know God. And then the second point is that we request for less obstacles to obey and enjoy God. We request for less obstacles to obey and enjoy God. You can look with me now in verse 21. The psalmist says, you rebuke the insolence, accursed ones who wander, who wander from your commandments. You see, there's a warranted uh, a consequence to disobedience towards God. You see, the essence or the hearts of sin is when we no longer assume the role of servants, but seek the role of master instead. You see, Adam and Eve, uh, Adam and Eve's sin was not just about doing what they weren't supposed to do, but it was them choosing for themselves what they believed was best for them. Imagine if all the appliances in your house, you know, uh, just decided to stop doing what they were made to do. The toaster stopped toasting. The fridge stopped refrigerating. The freezer stopped freezing. The TV stopped working. What do we do when it stops working? We smack it. Like, what's, get it together. What's the matter with, with you? When humans uh, refuse to obey God, it's like, it's literally unnatural. It's illogical. And it's against our original intention and design. Adam and Eve were made by God and given the task to take care of the garden, to multiply, to simply enjoy life. They had everything they needed with just one rule, to not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we all know the story that Satan, who is also a disobedient creature, tempted them to eat the fruits by planting the idea in their head that God was afraid or holding out from them the opportunity for them to choose for themselves what is good and right versus what is evil. That serving God, that serving God whose commands are for our best interest is actually holding out on us instead. You see, God wants us to choose him. He, but when we disobey him, we choose ourselves. We take the wheel and, and, and go against what he says. And disobedience has its consequences. And to sin against an infinitely good God deserves an eternity in hell. The, the, the psalmist points out that, that, that we know better. We know better than that. We know this, that these people, they, they wander from God's Commands. The Bible teaches us that we all know God exists and that we exchange the truth of God for a lie. We set ourselves up for destruction, for cursing, and we choose it ourselves. You and I have lived lives deciding what is best 
for us, making the aim and goal of our lives about pursuing our own idea of happiness rather than trusting and pursuing uh, uh, the life that God intends for us that is best and disobedient, defective, prideful creation ought to be dealt with and disposed of by their creator. But there's some good news for us. In Romans 10, 9, up on the screen for you, Paul says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In the good news of Jesus, Jesus lives a perfect life in obedience to God the Father. He dies the death that you and I deserve on the cross. He pays the price for sin and makes available the blessing of being forgiven and viewed righteous before God, that we, we who are disobedient are even seen as obedient because of Jesus's obedience. It's credited to us. We are believing and submitting to the fact that Jesus is master of our lives. When you place your faith and obedience and confidence in Jesus, that he has come from heaven as our savior and, and master and has made a way for you to be in a good relationship with your God and master, you will be saved. You'll be saved from the punishment of sin and promised the hope of eternal life. People who experience this are, are made new and they now walk in obedience instead of disobedience out of a love towards God and a clear understanding of who they are in relationship to him. But oftentimes, hard things happen even when we are doing the right thing, even when we are obeying the Lord and living in obedience. You can look with me now in verse 22 of Psalm 119. The psalmist says, take away from me scorn and contempt, for I've kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servants will meditate on your statutes. We get uh, introduced to some context in this section. The, the, the psalmist is being targeted by people who don't uh, like him, and their angle is, is for people to think less of him uh, by throwing you know, shade or, or, or dirt on this person's name. The easiest and the most hurtful thing you can do to someone is attack and diminish their name and reputation. A Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1 teaches us that a good name is better than fine perfume. And what's scary here is that it's the princes, it's those in authority and leadership that is doing this. And this should teach us that, no, that we're not just strangers on this earth, that we're the, but we're also the anomaly and the minority of people trying to live in obedience to God. The world is not our friend. We should neither get comfortable on this earth or expect to coexist in harmony with the culture at all times. Jesus even warns us about this in John chapter 15, up on the screen for you, verses 18 to 20. He says, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. 
But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The world will identify and target you. And that's because you are obedient, because you look, think, talk, and walk like your master Jesus. If they can't identify you, and what does that say about you and me? But when they do target you, what's the battle plan? How do you protect and clear yourself of when the very authority and leadership that you may appeal to is out to get you as well? Do you call your lawyer? Do you start writing your will? Do you go ghost, go off the grid and move away? This is the psalmist's battle plan in verse 22 and 23. He says, take away from me scorn and, and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servants will meditate on your statutes. The psalmist, he asks for two things. He asks, he asks God to do what only he can do, and he resolves to remain a servant and do what he can do. Doing the right thing is not going to, in a sense, clear the false accusations. It's what kind of got him targeted in the first place. But he knows that God is sovereign and can clear his name in the flesh as he's already innocent, since he's already cleared his name in the spirit when he was guilty with his sin towards God. The psalmist doesn't have the power to guarantee his own obedience, but he guarantees studying, dwelling on, meditating, pondering on what God says in his word to inform his next steps. Meditation isn't wrong. It's about what you are meditating on. It's what allows the Holy Spirit to work in our lives for obedience. Again, why would a psalmist want to do this? Because he understands that joy is the reward of our grace-given obedience and pursuits of God. He has tasted the Lord's joy and simply wants more of it. In verse 24, it's what he says. He says, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. This, this, this verse here very much mirrors Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. I'll just quickly read that for us as well. <clears throat> he says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers, but his delight is the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Because God's word and law is our delight and, and, and counsel, we can navigate life in such a way to not associate, be caught up in, and do what is right, even in the presence and attack of evil. Uh, the psalmist says in the same way that his enemies kind of go out for coffee, sit around the table, and try to figure out how to ruin his reputation, his time is better spent studying the word of God. And that word counselors mean, it's plural. It means men who counsel me. The psalmist feels like he's talking and conversing with God as he studies his word. That studying 
of what God has said enables a context where we are briefing or being briefed and in a, a discussion with God himself. Up on the screen for you, a little illustration. It's kind of like, uh, uh, like how, how boxers in between rounds are being given insight and, and wisdom from their coaches. The psalmist's heart is, is encouraged since the word of God is the, is the means to his delight. <clears throat> and testimonies, uh, as it says here in verse 14, it, it, it can mean a, 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 a spoken statement about God, but it can also mean uh, alluding to God's victories over his people, a, a public of recounting of an experience of God. The psalmist can take heart, take counsel, receive delight that God can handle the situation because he's done it before and he's read it himself in his word. Doing this allows us to receive God's comfort and guidance that enables him to have joy now and instruction as to what he should do next and then experience more joy again in doing the right thing. That, that, that stranger or a former friend or family member or coworker or a group of people who are gossiping and slandering you day and night so that others can see you with disgust, with scorn, and with contempt. Maybe there's legal complications. God's word teaches us that, that your time is better spent and your time in his word getting to know God. That's what equips you and comforts you in those situations. This also tells us uh, that God has already given you the, the solutions to your problems before you've even faced them. And this is why his word that counsels you can, can be your delight preemptive to you reading it. Because someone who loves you has already given you all the comfort and guidance you need to have joy in your life. Again, joy is a reward of our grace-given obedience and pursuits of God. Joy is what motivated Jesus, our Savior. Hebrews tells us that it was because of the joy set before him that, that, that he endured the cross and despised the shame. Jesus encourages us of this motivator as well, that there's a promise of, of joy as a result of our obedience and pursuits of him. To close, uh, John 15, verses 10 and 11 says this on the screen for you. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Since joy is a reward of our grace-given obedience and pursuits of God, uh, uh, we, let, let's pray that we take hold of the opportunities uh, to, act, to, to, to act wisely when obstacles come in our way as well, that we may enjoy God through our duty and our knowledge. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.